0: Storygram Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm.
1: Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? everything else because it's never ever about food or weight never ever not even one time not ever 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 hello everyone this is Lee rourke from it's not about food podcast so Grateful that you're here today talking about this issue of feelings and diet thoughts and what's that about? And on the body love card, the goddess is sort of like got this big thought bubble around her head going around and around saying, fat grams, carbs, calories, fattening, you know, all the things that we say, fat burning, discipline, diets. And the deer is looking at her with a big question mark on her head going, I don't really know what you're doing, but whatever. And so in the back of the card, it says, diet thoughts are the kind of thoughts we're having when we think we should only eat certain kinds or quantities of foods, count calories or fat grams or other eating rules that are restrictive and based on losing weight. These thoughts are learned from our diet culture. Dieting is an obsession that allows us to focus on something very tangible and concrete, giving us the feeling that we are in control. When we understand that diet thoughts can sometimes be a response to underlying feelings, we can begin to use diet thoughts as a red flag to explore these feelings. So this was a huge awakening for me in my eating disorder When I put it together that every time I want to go on a really restrictive diet, it's when I felt out of control. And not only if I really looked at it, felt out of control about my body, but I would feel out of control about my money or my relationship or my son or the politics of the world or, you know, there was a lot to be out of control about. So I would take it that if I rearrange my food plan or get a new diet that I think I'm going to like or get back into shape is what I would tell myself, then I would feel more in control. And that kind of worked for a while. And then of course it didn't. And the world still did what it did. And my relationship still did what it did. And my money still did what it did. And me being fatter or thinner really didn't change that. (laughs) So was very discouraging. <laughs> you know, I'm not a person who doesn't like to be in control. So, I think that this is a really wonderful topic and I'm glad that somebody else besides me wants to talk about it. And so I'm going to introduce my next guest and I'm, we're so lucky to have her here. And you're on. Thank you, Laura Lee, for that warm
0: introduction. Hi everybody, my name is Shira Khan. I'm a marriage and family therapist in private practice. I'm also co-author of the Erasing Ed Treatment Manual with Nicole Labby, and that's available on Amazon. Some people know me for an article that I wrote years ago called Why Overeaters Anonymous Doesn't Work. Oh God. Yeah. Out and, there. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, that's out there. So (laughs) there there are, I love the 12 steps. I'm a huge fan. Me too. But there was a way in which in the time that I wrote the article that Overeaters Anonymous basically was support for going on a diet. So in that article, I spell out why that makes things actually worse for people. It just reinforces the whole diet mentality that you're talking about. And now I'm co-hosting a podcast called Two Wise Women Talking. And it's really about Privileging the relationship with yourself as the basis for getting along with others. So there are a lot of tools and tips for staying in the body while you're in relationship to another person. So I'm super excited to be on this podcast with you, and I'm practicing staying in my body
1: orally while we're <laughs> talking together. Right, exactly. Uh, so easy to fly all around the room. Yeah, and I really do... Love that we blow up these sacred cows, if you will, that they don't work. You know, if they worked, then great, but they don't. Exactly. They
0: don't. Oh gosh. I wish dieting worked. I mean, people come in to see me and they really wanted it to be a solution to their problems, not the least of which the belief that if I have a different body size, I'll be more lovable. And I want that so much for people. We need our attachments and our relationship life to be secure. So if dieting brought that, I would be the first one to be happy about that.
1: Me too. Yeah, but it doesn't work. It doesn't because what we start to do, as you know, is we start to make ourselves wrong. That actually, we're the problem instead of maybe I need more help in having a conversation with my partner. Maybe it's not losing 10 pounds. Maybe it is just having a conversation about what are we doing, where are we going, what's happening to us. So I have a comment
0: about that, but I don't want to forget to tell the listeners that I think the most important credential I have is that I, I had a life-threatening case of bulimia and mm. when I was a teenager and a young woman, and after the binging and purging stopped, and I hope this isn't too triggering for people
1: no, listening. we talk about it.
0: Okay the mentality, the self-hatred, the regretting every bite of food, not wanting to be seen in public, that persisted for about 10 years after the bulimia went away. So I've gone to school, I've learned psychology. I have a language now for what happened to me, but where I really know my stuff is from my own recovery.
1: Exactly. Me too. Me too. That was my first lesson, (laughs) was my own struggle and then my own recovery and i think that i don't know that i know that i gravitate to therapists who have struggled rather than somebody that's just going to sit with a book in front of them and a pencil and just go mhm 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 you know i want a relationship so you know they don't have to disclose everything about them i don't need that but i do need some sort of empathy and some sort of aha i know how that feels well
0: actually since we're talking about this whole process where we reject ourselves and we focus on changing our body through going on, uh, like you were saying, getting back in shape, the antidote to the impetus to do that comes through having a healing connection. So that's how I hear what you're talking about, that you want to have a therapist with whom you can have a connection. Now that we can study the brain and the nervous system in such detail, we know that it calms the nervous system down when there's a felt connection. And once you have that going and the person experiences the calm nervous system and can start to relax, then, that, then self-love can start to come in. If you're in a fight, flight, or freeze response, which many of us were in our families of origin, then we become desperate. We'll do anything we can to calm our nervous systems down. And through our culture telling us we need to look a certain way, then we think, okay, that'll be a solution. Let me go take these steps. That will give me what I need to feel better, what I need to calm myself down.
1: Yeah. And I know that from a very young age, I found lots of ways to calm myself down. I lived in a very chaotic household and then in a boarding school and... You know, I felt that reading and hiding and going into fantasy in my own mind that somebody was going to come to the boarding school and say, This has all been a big mistake. You don't even belong to this person that you think you do. I'm your parent. I'm going to take you. And, you know, I had this whole thing that I got stolen in the hospital or something. And anyway, but those are things that would calm me down because it would give me a sense of. This is not my real life. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I don't have to get upset about this, but I couldn't find any other way to physically do that other than food. That's what I had first. I could get that. I could do wonders with food and, and my uh, emotional life. So, food, you went to eating first before restricting? I went to eating first. And then I went to, then I realized at a very young age that everybody gets upset when somebody stops eating. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You get a lot of attention. And I would always pretend I was sick. I'm sick. I'm sick. I can't eat. So I get out of the boarding school and get to go to the doctor and have tests run. You know, sounds terrible, but it was a better life than sitting in the boarding school I was in. So I
0: appreciate how candid you're being, and I didn't know exactly what we would talk about today, but to me, the subject of aloneness is coming up.
1: Yeah, being completely
0: alone. Yeah, and since we have just been talking about the nervous system, so I became also a couples counselor, and it really enhanced my work with eating disorders, because I learned about human attachment and all the research. An attachment. And what the research has shown is that adults have the same attachment needs as children. And if we are not connected to a few safe, reliable others, our nervous system goes into uh, a fight, flight, or freeze response because there's a biological imperative to connect. So I just quoted Sue Johnson, if anybody wonders where that was all of her research. That's that I just That I just quoted. So something just happened between us that I want to call out, which is by you sharing candidly, I felt myself drop into my body and be with you there. And I can look back on when I had my eating disorder behaviors, what we just did was the antidote to needing those behaviors. That's right. That's so true. Because those behaviors were called in when I didn't know any other way to connect And similarly to you, I first started with overeating and then discovered overexercising and restricting later. So my eating disorder came the year my parents split up and I didn't have anyone to talk about it with. And then you know what else, Loralee? Nobody asked me. I know. Nobody asked me how it was for me that the one parent I could rely on wasn't in the house anymore. So I had such big feelings and no place to express them or get support. So I started binging.
1: And you know what? It was a relief. It is. And it was a relief. You know, a really good friend of mine who's a therapist always says, you know, we were smart little girls to come up with what we came up with. Because some people choose something that's going to kill them faster than that. We were smart to come up with what we could get, you know, what we could do
0: storygram network welcome to one media one media
1: (laughs) when you're whining with nurses
0: it's a place I like to call the bleed
1: my name is Laura Lee and this is it's not about food the art of being yay isn't just something he developed
0: storygram network I really agree with that, especially with the word smart, because it was also the part of us that wanted to feel love, that wanted to find a way to get through life, that wanted to feel better. Sometimes that part even gets shut down so much that it doesn't even try. So the energy behind, it was a compulsion, don't get me wrong, but the energy behind
1: it is a will to live. Yeah. A huge self-care and a will to live. I remember at one point thinking to myself, "If I don't get out of here, I'm going to die." So I made up a whole disorder or disease that they couldn't find because it wasn't there. Oh wow! And that did it work? It worked for a while. Got me out of there. Yeah, worked for a while. Out of the boarding school. Yeah, or yeah, and out of the just. Living through this, the pain of my childhood got me out of that and gave me something else to do. And somehow, like a, so many of us in the world, we just got through our childhood as best we could and not become a serial killer afterwards. <laughs> you know, oh, God. Sort of like, a, I just, uh, always tell people, wow, with that childhood like that, that you're walking around, you know how to dress yourself, and you know how to drive a car and hold down a job. It's amazing. (laughs) It's amazing. You know, the will of the human heart and soul is just beautiful.
0: So I really appreciate where you're going with this, is that bringing a loving container to the behavior, you were talking about the behaviors you did of making up a an illness. We were talking about overeating. So putting a loving container around that and really putting in perspective that to do that made sense and it was a way to go forward in life. And so I want to invite the listeners to notice if you feel some um, approval, some understanding, some empathy toward when you've had patterns or behaviors like that
1: in your life. Yeah, I think it's a beautiful thing to give that gift to the person that they already have that gift, but we just remind them that you do have compassion for others. So let's start to get some for you. Yeah. And
0: along those lines when you were sharing about how you got yourself out of the boarding school and how desperate you must have been, I felt some sadness in my solar plexus. I also want to make space for that and Listeners can dive as deeply or not as they wish. But if there are feelings coming up to know that Loralee and I get it and we care, we've been there, and that you're not alone if some feelings are coming up. uh, You may be listening to this after we're recording it, but overall that we get it with you. This was the thing, Loralee, that no one taught me how to do.
1: No. I say a lot of times I thought it was the Romans. Thousands of years later, Loralee that <laughs> came up with bulimia, <laughs> although they didn't even have that as a word when I was suffering from bulimia. That wasn't even a word yet. It was, but it wasn't used. And so I thought no one else had thought about this. Nobody else did this. You know, it was so shameful. And then to find out that there were people who actually did it and knew what it was and had recovered it. And- I think that's why therapy works is because you get another human that understands where you're coming from and likes you anyway. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah. And it
0: is very hard to understand eating disorders if you haven't had one because it doesn't make sense. But if you know about what attachments to other humans or lack thereof... Means to the person's heart and also to the biology, to the nervous system. Once you start to know that, and you realize that was what was operating underneath the behaviors that are hard to understand, but then it it
1: starts to make more sense. It certainly does. I mean, it makes perfect sense, you know. And I'm sure you do the same thing that I say to somebody: let's review what's been going on. So, blah 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 blah, and then you started to think that your life would be better if you went on a diet. Of course you think that. (laughs) Of course. Why would you not come up with that? Of course. But you know enough that you're not doing that, and that's why you're here. So let's talk about that. (laughs) Right.
0: And then you get to ask, is dieting, or whatever the behavior patterns are, is that the best way to get this need met? Now that we've actually identified what the need is, what's the best way to get that met? So there's something else that I'm Bringing in and kind of talking about, not exactly talking about. So I'm just going to say it to name it. So you've allowed me to connect with you and it's allowed me to drop into my body more and connect with myself. When the eating behaviors came into my life, they were actually capturing a pattern of relating to my feelings that had happened before the eating behaviors started. So what I learned was. What emanated from me was going to make others upset. And I'm a parent now. I have lots of compassion for parents and also for my parents. They're good people and they tried really hard. But in the normal course of events, if I were having big feelings, both my parents would get triggered and then they would go into their patterning. Once they were triggered, they couldn't be with, they could no longer be connected to me.
1: Exactly. Oh, so good. Exactly. They were now fallen into that place that they were all into their own thing, their own stuff.
0: Right. I would sometimes get, one parent would go away when that parent was triggered. The other parent would go over my boundaries with demeaning words and anger. So either one of
1: those taught me, I better not have big feelings. So what to do when you're thinking, feeling human, what to do? Smush them down however way you can. Right, right.
0: <laughs> and at first, the food was good for that, and then that had its downsides. So then <laughs> exercise and restricting became the way to do it. But they were both accomplishing the same thing, which was to try to push everything down. So I want to add in that I love explaining things biologically and visually, I think that's great. But there's a component to it that I want to also name, which is that in particular, what I learned to do in reaction to my feelings was hate myself. That's the form it took. That's the action and the emotion that I learned to have inside myself to prevent me from having big feelings that would alienate my loved ones.
1: There's a thought that I think about sometimes is that, why did I go to hating myself when one of my siblings went to hating everyone but themselves? (laughs) It's just the luck of the draw or something, you know? I love that you asked
0: that question. I think it is such an interesting question. So I had an elderly relative who put all his, whatever his feelings were that he didn't want to have, he would assign them to others. Yeah. And so he was highly, highly critical and always had negative things to say. He lived to be 93. Oh my gosh. No stress. And (laughs) it was everybody else's fault, Loralees. And then the relatives who internalized things, it's not a double blind 3,000 person study, but in my family, the people who internalized it, they died younger.
1: It's the stress of carrying everybody's stuff all the time. Talk about the real heaviness that we're carrying. It's not the weight. It's the heaviness of everything that we're being told or we were told. And it's nice to, at some point, take all of that off without having to diet and find out that's not really what was going on.
0: And if I may, I think we just demonstrated. So you dropped in. You were candid and honest with your story. And then I was able to drop in and meet you there. That's what I did as an adult to help myself. I found other adults that I could do that process with. And then I've become more and more more comfortable with having my feelings. But for me, the behaviors dropped away before the self hatred took longer.
1: Oh definitely. Because it was deeper. Yes. It's the mother, the mothership. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, within me, not my, my not my real mother, but the part of me deep inside that just had the idea that I was no good, and sooner or later everybody was going to find that out. And then I had to go underneath that to find the part of me that said, um, "Yeah, that's not really true." <laughs> but it was a lot of excavation. And uh, what you're talking about is what I found in my own life is that the behavior stopped, but the self-hatred continued. And then I had to start treating the self-hatred like a behavior and recover from that by telling myself I love you a lot. Was I would my love antidote. to hear more of how you worked with the self-hatred if you would be willing to share that. Sure. So what I did personally is, you know, I realized how often I told myself negative things. Like I would never talk to anyone like that, ever. So I got that part. And then I thought, well, what if I treated my own child? What if I just start saying really positive things all the time? To me, would that change? And it did, but it took a while, but it did. As often as I said, oh, you're too fat or you're not okay, or things are not well, or you're not okay, I would say, I love you. I'm sorry I just said that. That's not really true. I love you. You're going to be okay. I'm on your side. I'm right here. I'll never leave you. And those, somehow that got in after a long time. (laughs) But it did. It did. Finally, it did. So now I never say those things to me. I'm so touched by the things that you said to
0: yourself. They're so sweet. They're what every child wants to hear. And I appreciate that you've brought in What we learn how to do now, what I teach people is to get over an eating disorder. Basically, you forge the kind of internal relationships inside yourself that you wish you had. Yeah, make it up. Make it up. You make up the mother character that you wish you had. And when you said those words just now, I felt the sincerity. That's the other thing.
1: The part of us that needs to heal wants to feel it. But, you know, the resistance to that, because I tell my clients to do that, obviously, and they'll say, oh, no, I don't love myself. I don't like myself at all. I can't say that. I can't, you know, I'm not doing a good job. I'm not, but just say it, fake it till you make it kind of thing, and it'll be okay. You'll see. It'll be okay. You know, I tell them all the time, the hippies were right. Love is what you need. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm
0: proud of my hippie leanings. <laughs> me too. Me too. Yeah.
1: So tell me, if you don't mind, how would somebody get a hold of you to do this wonderful work with you? Oh, thank you. So
0: um, they go to shiracon.com. Do you want to spell it? And S is in Sam H E I R A K A H N.com. And I do one-on-ones, I do groups, and I also teach clinicians my method.
1: Oh, that's so great. And the one-on-ones that you do, on that's all on Zoom? That is correct. And the groups are on Zoom? Yes. So anybody, anywhere can join a group or be working with you. That's wonderful. Yeah, different time zones, different countries, sure. Yeah. This is the weird, wonderful gift that we got with COVID, <laughs> I feel. It's true. Just completely blew that open. Whereas, you know, before I always had a, I'm going to be in New York. Can you talk to me when I'm there? Oh, I'm not sure if I can. You know, it's always a weird thing about that. And now, yeah, I can talk to you if you live in Paris. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's nice. We're almost done. And I wonder if you would read... The last part of the card, the today.
0: Today, I will practice noticing my diet thoughts. Each time I think about controlling my food in some way, I will ask myself if there are any feelings that might have triggered this thinking. I will then let myself have the feeling
1: and ask what I need to take care of myself. It's such a simple question that we just completely forget to ask feel like in the culture that we live in, we're really taught self-love. It's coming more because thanks to people like you
0: and me, but yes, it's been a long time coming. And sometimes when I ask the question to clients, what do you need to take care of yourself? They can't answer. And that it's threatening to ask them because it brings up the lack of development about having had needs and having feelings and being able to care for themselves. So I often say, we don't even need an answer. We just need to ask the question.
1: That's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. I'm going to remember that because I do have clients that, oh, you've just given me another job to do. (laughs) Right. And I won't do it well. (laughs) Or I won't do it at all, you know, or I'm not going to do it. I have already got a lot on my plate. I can't take me on too. (laughs) And I go, no, the plate is you. So anyway, I just have enjoyed this talk with you so much, and I really appreciate you coming on today. And I know we're in a different time zone and taking time out of your day to do this. I really appreciate it very much.
0: Thank you, Laura Lee. Thank you so much for having me on. I've really enjoyed the conversation too. And Thank I hope you. to get to do this again. Yeah. Let's keep in touch. Sounds
1: good. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. And be sure and follow me on Patreon, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and it's notaboutfood.com. Thanks.